The False Prince, Chapter 41 Since Connor's traveling group had now swelled from only himself, Mott, and Rodin to a group of seven, we were informed that we would be a delay before we could be... Or there would be a delay before we could be ready to leave. Tobias looked pleased and relieved, but Rodin's expression was almost murderous as he stomped away. I wasn't sure where he was going, but knew he'd return when it was time to leave. He couldn't risk being left behind. After changing into riding clothes upstairs, I told Mott that I would, wanted to go for a ride. This may be my last chance to be truly alone. Perhaps ever, I explained. Let me have that time with my thoughts. Mott gave a permissive bow of his head. Be careful. You're Connor's prize now. I'm never careful, I said, dr- grinning. Mott didn't smile back. I walked past the kitchen toward the back door of Farthenwood that would lead me to the stables and was only barely outside before someone punched me in the arm. Not a hard, a hard bunch compared to most of the hits I've taken, but an angry one. Imogen had been standing just outside the door. She'd probably seen me in riding clothes and came out to wait for me. What was that for? I asked, rubbing my arm. She glanced around to make sure, no, make sure we were alone, then hissed, How dare you, Sage? How dare you interfere with my life? Genuinely confused, I took her by the elbow and led her farther away from the door, beside a tall, set, tall hedge where we would not easily be seen. What are you talking about? I asked. What have I done? You're the prince now? Looks that way. Tears welled in her eyes, though she was obviously trying hard to push them back. And you're bringing me to Drilliad with you? I can't, or I can get you away from here, from whoever treats you so badly. And then what, Sage? What will happen to me in Drilliad? I shrugged, unable to understand why she felt so angry. You go free. Once I'm made prince, I'll have access to the treasury. I'll pay off your mother's debt to Connor and you're free. She shook her head stiffly. I won't have your charity, not from an orphan, and certainly not from a prince. It's not charity, you're my friend, and I want to help. If possible, that made her even angrier. Do you think this is helpful? I had a place here, Sage. I understood my life. You have no life here, and I'm giving it back to you. No, no, you're not. I know what this is. I folded my arms as I faced her. Oh? You're afraid to go to Drilliad, correct? A little anxious, perhaps, but that didn't explain her anger. What if I am? I replied. You don't understand what... I understand perfectly. You played Connor's game and won. And now that his decision is made, you're afraid no one will believe the lies. You want help or you want help in convincing the court. You think by bringing me to Drilliad, I'll feel obligated to lie for you. Strong emotions rose in me. Not exactly anger, though that's not how it so- or that's how it sounded when I spoke. You think that's my plan? That I'd use you in such a way? I had no idea I was such a horrible person. Her face softened somewhat. You're not horrible, Sage, but look at what Connor's turning you into. Don't you see it? I watched you go from this orphan boy who might have become my friend to Connor's prince, who will never be anything but his custom or his costume servant. I'm nobody's servant. Yes, you are. She shook her head sadly. You gave in to him. You let Connor win. I didn't think you would. Imogen, there is so much happening that er, so much more happening than you know. And does any of it matter more than your freedom? After a slight hesitation, she added, I'm disappointed in you. I'd rather you would run. That would be better than this. Run? Truly angry now, I started to walk away, then turned back to her. Then you'd condemn Tobias to death. Make Rodin a puppet king and doom yourself to a life here. Connor's held you down for so long you've forgotten what it's like to breathe free air. And you've given your life to his control forever. You'll never breathe free again. I started to answer, to say whatever was necessary to make her understand, but in the end, I hesitated too long, and finally only managed to suggest she should pack her things before Connor was ready to leave.
She shook her head, then hurried back into the house. As much as I wanted to follow her, gut instinct told me that would only make things worse. She could believe whatever she wanted about me, but she was still coming to Juliet. There were a few stable boys tending to the horses when I arrived there a few minutes later. No sign of Cragen, who was probably now having to get ready for our journey. The longer I avoided him, the better. Cregan had wanted Ronan to be chosen. He'd be furious with me for winning out, at least at the last minute. I chose a quarter, house na- quarter horse named Poco for the ride. The stable boy seemed reluctant to let me have it without direct orders from Connor, so I began preparing the saddle myself. Finally, he said he'd do it before I ruined my clothes and got us both in trouble. Riding Poco through the open field was refreshing. I found spots of time alone over the past two, two weeks, but nothing of freedom. Poco was an excellent horse, instinctively obedient and eager to be tested. It wasn't long before Farthenwood was lost behind a wooded hill, and all was silent except for the gentle river nearby with birds chirping overhead. A slight breeze rustled the leaves of the tall trees over my head. I lifted my face to the sky and let the wind and sun caress my, ki- my skin. This was freedom. As much as I'd never known again, or never know again anyway. If Imogen had been right about anything she accused me of back at the house, this was it. I slid off Poco's back and walked him to the edge of the river. This wasn't far from Windstorm, or where Windstorm had left me several days ago, and the memory forced a smile to my face. I wished for a friend or a father I could tell the story to and make them laugh, either with me or at me. I didn't care. Several smooth rocks lay along the bank of the river. I grabbed a fistful and flung them one by one into the water, watching them skip a time or two before disappearing. One rock I kept for myself. It was a little surprise only a few minutes later when another horse snorted in the background. Mott had come, no doubt. I'd seen him watching me from a distance when I was in the stables. And by the time I reached the arch of the eastern hill, Mott was in the stables. It must have killed him to wait this long before finally approaching me. Do you mind a little company? he asked. Yes. It didn't matter. He dismounted and walked over to me. We stood side by side for a long while, watching the river. Eventually, Maud asked, Did you know that he'd pick you because of the trick you can do with that coin? I don't think anyone can predict what Connor will do, is what makes him so dangerous. But you must have guessed it, or else you would have have accepted this morning. I'm I'm sorry. But you must have guessed it, or else you would have escaped this morning. Using the passages, it would have been an easy thing to run. Look what happened to Latimer when he tried to run. That brought an uncomfortable silence. Finally, Mott said, Connor wants you to know that we're ready to leave soon. Earl is waiting to help you change into travel clothes. You'd think they'd make traveling clothes more comfortable, I muttered. I believe when I'm king, my first order will be to let everyone wear whatever clothes they want. Mott chuckled. Fashion. What a mighty beginning this will, er, that will be for your reign. After another pause, he added, What kind of king will you be, Sage? Tyrannical and fierce like Veldegroth would be? Complacent and indifferent like your father? I turned to him. Like Eckbert, you mean? Uh, of course. With a cough, Mott added, Get used to it. If you are Jaren, then Eckbert is your father. I let that pass. If I'm the prince, then you have a higher royal loyalty to me than to Connor, correct? Yes. Then tell me this. Did Connor kill my family? I can't answer that, Sage. Can't or won't? You haven't been declared the prince yet. I held out my arms to Mott. Who do you see now, Sage or Jaren? Mott studied me for a long time before answering. The bigger question may be, who do you see? I don't know. 
It's not easy to be one type of person when you've worked so hard to be a very different type of person. Mott's reply came so fast, I wondered if he'd been waiting for just that type of opening. And tell me, Sage, which person have you, been work- have you worked so hard to be? The orphan or the prince? He walked to his horse and untied a bundle on its back. Unwrapping it, he carried it to me. Then he set the imitation of Prince Jaren's sword in my hands. My thumb robed over the ru- rubies in the pommel. Thinking of how much you could get for them at the market? Mott asked. No. I held the sword out to him. I don't understand. I thought you must want it. You stole it before, didn't you? He didn't wait for an answer. We both knew the truth. Which means you must have controlled that foul mare Cregan, um, Cregan gave you long enough to get out and, and from the sword arena without being seen. I wouldn't say I ever controlled her, I admitted with a grin. I was so worn out at the end, she really did dump me into the river. Maud smiled and tapped the sword. I figured you must want it back now, before we leave for Drilliad. Are you giving it to me? Is it mine now? Mott nodded. Without giving it a second glance, I hurled it into the deepest bend of the river. Mott started forward as if to rescue it, then turned back to me. What did you do that for? I arched my head back at him. The Prince of Carthia will never wear a cheap copy of a sword at his side. That sword is an insult to him. Is that why you, or is that why you stole it? He didn't wait for an answer, which was good because I couldn't admit that out loud. It would have helped you look more authentic. Do you really think I need that, Mott, to help me? Mott nodded very slowly, not in response to my question, but as if he finally settled something in his mind. No, you will not need that sword, your highness. Then you think I can convince them that I'm the prince? After a deep breath, Mott lowered himself to one knee and bowed his head. What I think... If you forgive me of my blindness before, is that I was never looking at Sage the Orphan. I kneel before the living Prince of Carthia. You are Prince Jaren. Guys, I don't know if you realize what that means, but Sage this entire time has actually been Prince Jaren. I think one of you actually guessed that at the very beginning of the book. That Sage, the orphan, never existed. Prince Jaren is truly alive and pretended to be Sage. Oh my goodness. Let's see what continues to happen. <laughs>